Hello everybody, welcome to the Juan Galt Show. Today's special guest is Tour de Mister. He is a Bitcoin OG uh, market analyst. He's been in the space for a long time. I actually met him something like 10 years ago um, at a philosophy conference, I believe. And uh, I have a lot of respect for him. He's a very sharp thinker. He's a clear thinker. He's humble, but he's honest. And I'm uh, just very happy and proud to have him on the show. Today we talked about... Uh, why Tour is incredibly bullish on Bitcoin, to quote him, and uh, what the tailwinds are for Bitcoin right now, as well as the the headwinds for the U.S. and economic system as a whole. We talked about the U.S. credit downgrade that happened recently where um, a major credit agency uh, rated down the U.S.'s debt slightly but enough to send shockwaves and raise some questions you know and and it was all about this sort of game of chicken that politicians are playing around the the debt the united states debt um so that was interesting we talked about systemic risks uh and what tour believes is the net the upcoming bailout that's going to need to happen to rescue the system as he sees it much more vulnerable than it was in 2008 um, we also talk about, you know, general kind of U.S. economic uh, data and forward outlook for the U.S. economy. Uh, we then pivoted to the SEC versus HEX. And uh, we talked about the morality of, of, of crypto fraud. You know, what, how should a country deal with it? What is reasonable? How, do, how does a libertarian tangle with these issues of fraud versus regulation? You know, it's actually not not simple uh, for libertarian thinkers to deal with this, I've found. And um, so that was an interesting conversation. We really kind of try to push it forward there. And we also talked about BlackRock and, and what might happen there and whether we, Bitcoin needs BlackRock or not. So I thought it was a great conversation. Um, hopefully you enjoy it. And um, you know what else is coming up? I have to I have to tell you about this unconfiscatable. Um if you haven't heard of it, it's a Bitcoin maximalist conference happening in Las Vegas, hosted by none other than Tom Vase, a good friend of mine, and um, another Bitcoin OG that's been around for a long time. This conference happens early December, and it hosts poker, stake, arcade games, uh, lots of Bitcoin maximalists, but a small crowd overall. I think the maximum attended is something like 300 people or 500 people. Um and the prices are very reasonable. This is not one of those crazy expensive conferences. So if you're in the U.S. or if you're if you're in Mexico or you can fly into the U.S. easily enough, this is a great conference for the winter, right? Go go. I think it's like around December seven. You can get you can get the details out on confiscatable.com, um, and just have a good time with a bunch of maximalists. I mean, I've I've gone a couple of times and it's always a great time. You know, I think the poker is fun. The steak is great. But my favorite part was playing arcade with a bunch of maximalists, playing uh, pinball, playing various arcade games, and just having a few beers and having a good time. That's uh, that's really special. Um, and uh, yeah, so I hope you'll join us. I'll be there uh, this December. And I got a discount for you guys. You get uh, 10% off if you use the code GALT10. That's galt one zero, GALT10. And uh, yeah, you get 10% off and uh, save some money. So I hope you'll join us. And uh, anyway, uh, looking forward to that. Without further ado, though, Tour the Mister. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Lee Juan. All right. Good to be here. Hey, good to have you. Um, how do you how do you say your name? Tour or how do you pronounce? Yeah, it? I say Tour, but uh, that's that's pretty unpronounceable for for most people in the world. <laughs> where, where's that? Where's that name from? Uh, it's from uh, from Belgium. It's uh, it's a Flemish name. Belgium. It's uh, the Flemish version of Arthur. Oh, that's awesome. That's super cool. Yeah, there's uh it's a great show about Arthur on Netflix. Um, I know Netflix is like cringe, but man, there's such a it's such a great show. 
about uh, uh yeah, just Arthur and uh and, and the wizard. Oh gosh, what was his name? The, the big famous wizard. Oh Merlin. Merlin, yeah, yeah, it's called Merlin and it's about Merlin. But he's like helping Arthur and Arthur's kinda like the new king and it's it's a fantastic show. Oh, that's cool. I highly recommend it. Yeah, I used to read um yeah. I used to read a comic book called The Red Knight. Um it was in Dutch, but it was pretty popular around Europe, I think. And so they, he was like a knight, and then there was also Merlin and Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Yeah, I, I love that mythology and that that uh, that myth. You know, I, I find it completely fascinating. Um, but okay, let's let's talk. Let's get some of the big headlines out of the way. Uh, the U.S. Got, the, the, Finch has downgraded U.S. debt to double A plus from triple A. After concerns that they keep pushing the debt ceiling down to the last last second, after arguing, uh, you know, on both sides of the of the partisan aisle uh, for concessions and compromises, etc. What do you what do you make of this? Is, is this is noise? Why why would they do that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it's a bit hard to read from where I'm sitting. Like, maybe I need to be more tuned into. You know Wall Street and and what's happening on the Hill to to really understand what's behind that, but most likely it's just noise. Like it's a way to, it's kind of like a, a way a political dance or a compromise. I don't I don't expect that this rating change would change the ability of funds to actually own this debt or you know apologies um, or sell it. Um, so yeah, I mean if it's not going to change much in in the real world, and these are American rating agencies, so I don't, I don't ever expect them to do anything to really, really rock the boat. Um, just like we saw with the, with the, um, the uh, mortgage mortgage crisis, like they were, you know, they were limping behind rather than leading the charge of the crisis. Yeah, that, we were talking about how the the big short movie. Um, that was that was a big piece of the story was that the credit agencies were just basically captured uh and 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 not really doing their job and like a whole piece of the industry and, and public trust on these on these data these these instruments is dependent on these uh rating agencies that are just you know they're just pay to play they're just <laughs> if they're just saying whatever they they're paid to say so the fact that Finch would actually like downgrade it a little bit may, tells me that maybe they're foreseeing like some some market chaos and they don't want to they want to be seen as a leader perhaps but it seems, seems to me that they could be downgraded a, a couple other notches you know at this point yeah i mean ultimately it's i mean it's a little bit ridiculous when you're talking about you know the the debt that's issued by the government that also presides over the the world reserve currency because clearly they can just print however much they need to to always uh you know, make make their bondholders whole, at least nominally speaking. Of course, corrected for inflation, you're going to lose lose your shirt over time. But at least nominally, they're never going to fail. Right. I don't think. Right, that's a good point. They're they are the home field advantage. There's no way for them to be kind of dethroned on, on the terms of the debt. It's just that the the the, the dollars that they're get, they're paying out are gonna they're, they're not necessarily going to compete with inflation. So so maybe so maybe on those terms, they're AAA, right? Yeah, just yeah. I mean, I think it was Yellen who pushed back, and she's like, "Actually, you know, we can always print more money." And it's like, <laughs> she's right. She's right. Yeah, yeah. That's wild. Um, okay, let's uh, let's switch over to BlackRock ETF. Uh, the story that uh, will probably be this, the 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 big story for the next like three months. Uh, what do you make of this? Is it going to be the big savior? Is it going to pump us to two hundred thousand? Is it a weird kind of uh, illusion? Like, are they playing legal games? What's What's your take on the, the Black Rocket ETF? I don't have much special insight, but my my feeling is that it seems to be kind of real. Like, there, there's a, I mean, definitely a much higher chance than all the previous EDF applications that this one might actually get approved. Um, and then if it does, I, I do agree with most of the analysts that it would be a huge boost for uh, Bitcoin's reputation accessibility uh just raw demand um yeah i think it would be huge similar to the gold etf like i feel like that's a fairly good analogy in 2006 
um, that it would really just massively legitimize the asset class in the eyes of traditional finance and make it also more accessible. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, if it happens, it'd be a great boost. But I don't think Bitcoin needs an ETF to uh, to, you know, roll over into this big bull market. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's always been this concern or this sort of um, thought around the ETFs that that is going to let them print fake Bitcoin or paper Bitcoin and it's going to let them manipulate the market. And somehow gold is brought in as an example of it. However, you know, from what I've seen, you know, as soon as the, the gold ETF launched, gold went from like $300 to nearly $2,000 over a few years. So it doesn't seem like that actually tracks the price. Um, what do you what do you make of that? Concern? Yeah, there was always really a lot of, I mean, having been involved in the gold world, like not, not in a kind of, not that I was any of any prominence, but at least I was, I was following what was happening in the gold market for very closely between 2000, you know, 2009 and 2013, probably then especially. Um, and yeah, it was just, there were just so many conspiracy theories. Like everybody was, you know, trying to make sense of, you know, how much gold was really there and all these financial products. Um, and I think so a similar thing would probably also start to happen with a Bitcoin ETF, but Bitcoin is so much more auditable that I think to play these kind of games of uh, rehypothecation and, and, you know, backing 10 shares of paper with only one share of the real thing, I think it would be harder to pull off. I feel like, it, you know, whistleblowers would be, would, would get more traction because, you wouldn't need to have someone actually be allowed in some dusty vault and take photos and camp bars and stuff. Like you could just verify things on the blockchain. Um, so yeah, I mean, we'll see how it plays out. Nobody will be forced to own the ETF. You can just, you know, buy Bitcoin on chain or however way you want to own it. So I just think that it'll just create a whole bunch of additional demand that otherwise may might not have existed. Right. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And and I like uh, Tone's analysis that Bitcoin is so small of an asset that if they uh, printed a bunch of fake Bitcoin and, and, and you know, were, let's say, short uh, with that fake Bitcoin, you know, the, the price of real Bitcoin would just very easily crush them. It could be very it'd be very easy to short squeeze them. Right. So I'm not I'm not too concerned with that either. Right. Um, yeah. And also, you know, yeah. The, uh, I need to think about it some more, but, you know, the way the Hunt brothers cornered the market, I don't know. I think there's, I need to think about it more. I don't want to speak ahead of my turn, uh, but, but so the Hunt brothers at some point cornered the silver market. And uh, I think somehow taking ownership should be easier with Bitcoin so that turning that back, like undoing that or unwinding a move like that would be a lot harder um, maybe, maybe the, the speculative, this is going to be the golden age of the speculators who can actually use Bitcoin to short, massively short some of these fiat currencies. That would be epic. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, that'd be really interesting. Uh, welcome Jimmy Song. He just joined the, he's listening in. That's awesome. If you want to speak, feel free to raise your hand. We'd love to, to have you chime in. Um, Let's here's the other big story. And I just want to get through the big stories of the week because, you know, Bitcoin moves. Sometimes it moves very slowly in the news cycle. And then sometimes you get like five big stories in a week. So uh, the SEC is going after Hex. Hex is kind of like almost like a, a primordial scam coin. You know, it's uh, they, they you know, Richard Hart was kind of a maximalist and was kind of famous in the maxi world. And then suddenly uh, flip sides and like launched this huge uh funny money scheme uh basically sold it to ethereum people and then anyway everybody knows the story about hex um any thoughts on this particular story and then more in general like how do you how do you see the regulatory environment in this industry because you know on the one hand like as a bitcoin maximalist i do see all these things as kind of like selling poison to to the masses you know like it's financial poison it's uh, a lot of these rug pulls and policy schemes are damaging society and have real world consequences. But as a libertarian, on the other hand, I really struggle with the issue, right? I, you know, 
fraud is a violation of the NAP, but uh, does that mean we should, you know, hang the rug pullers, right? So how do you, uh, yeah, I'm just curious about your thoughts on this issue. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Richard Hart, I think he started to become, you know, known in some online places from around 2018. Yeah, he indeed was, um, he was a well-spoken guy. I mean, it's funny to talk about him in the, in the past tense, but I, it's probably kind of accurate. I think he's just going to disappear from the public discourse uh, or, or not be able to participate at least uh, for the next years. But so, yeah, he, um, well-spoken guy. And it's a, it's a pattern that we've seen before many times where a scammer will, you know, master a certain narrative, um, especially it, he will like associate with some minority that feels disenfranchised and then he'll, work to master that narrative, become like a champion of their cause, meanwhile, screwing everybody over. And, uh, you know, for example, he would speak up against Craig Wright and, you know, blah, 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 and and supposedly for Bitcoin, the Bitcoin's cause or whatever. Um, but so, yeah, that's, you kind of see that in nature as well, where certain animal species will, will literally imitate the good guys to then, rob the eggs from the nest or do whatever you you need to do like to you know be be an invasive species basically uh to to um exploit the vulnerability of um of uh what's in a certain species so so that's how i see what what richard hart did and and so yeah libertarians are vulnerable to those kind of attacks like they 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 see someone who's right supposedly right along with them meanwhile he's He's defrauding them and stealing from them. Um, and then, like, morally speaking, how do I look at this stuff? Well, I think there is, like, this distinction to be drawn between, you know, being a libertarian, which means, you know, you're in favor of, uh, let's say, small government, um, property rights, um, individual liberty, and uh, free markets. And on the other hand, libertinism which is kind of that Marquis de Sade idea of, you know, I don't want any, you know, I, I want the the wilderness. I, I, I want the laws of the jungle. I want Darwinism to reign. Let whoever is strongest prevail. And so to me, that's very different from libertarianism, which, or, you know, classical liberalism, which was much more about, there is a sense of order and there is a sense of, certain principles ought to be followed, especially property rights, contractual rights, and fraud is also fits in that framework where you just, you know, you, it, it's a form of stealing, of course, it's, it's, you disrespect somebody's property rights, the, the rights to their own uh, labor, etc. So to me, it's a clear distinction. But of course, that's, that's also what these criminals will play into, like, they will be, in fact, a libertine, and they'll align themselves temporarily with libertarians to pretend to be one of them, or even you know maybe they themselves are confused and they think they're they're aligned with the libertarians. But so yeah, that's that's how I look at that stuff. Yeah, and again, as a libertarian, I know I know you have somewhat of a background in this in in libertarianism. I believe do you still consider yourself a, a libertarian? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I love like you know I think natural mm -hmm. rights are just are just like mathematics, like they're just patterns of order that we can uncover and discover and further refine. Um, just like scientific principles can be discovered and refined and then find their way into technology. In the same way, we can, we can, you know, make, um, make uh, judicial systems, technological systems, if you will, to further um, bring into practice these simple natural rights that will always inevitably lead to a more peaceful, more prosperous society. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I still believe that stuff. Okay. So that's great. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm very much in the same camp and I'm, I'm struggling right now. I'm, I'm arguing with some ANCAP friends about the regulatory approach to crypto because again, like to me, it's very clear, like the non-aggression principle includes fraud right and that's always been sort of said in my you know in my history as a libertarian that's always been like uh understood but fraud itself has never really been talked about in in very clear terms because it's not 
it's not as easy to defend and enforce against as let's say the violent forms of theft and, and violence, right? Like the explicitly physical oh, yeah. forms of violence. But if, but if but if you sell somebody poison and you tell them that it's medicine and you know it's poison, that's fraudulent and it's physically damaging to them, potentially deadly. And I think I think a lot of these Ponzi schemes and straight up pyramid schemes and uh, anonymous, you know, cryptos that uh, are centralized and, and 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 there's an asymmetry towards the the creator, right, of the token. Like there, I I I want to make the argument that they're in the same category, but you know, it's 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 hard to imagine, you know, it's hard to 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 st- stand as a status and say, yeah, they should go to jail for creating a shitcoin you know so how do you how do you how do you wrestle how do you deal with that well i think if you're in favor of you know polycent so there's two things one is the the natural law principles that you can you know align yourself with or disagree with like have a certain idea that these principles are are very important and they are true and real uh on the one hand and then on the other hand it's like okay so how do we how do we bring those principles to life? Like, how do we actually, as a society, like, how, how are they going to be implemented? And what, you know, government rule has a, a, a tendency to do is to, as, as all monopolies do, is to crowd out alternative ways of doing things. So, like, if uh, one example is, uh, for example, in Belgium, there was, growing up, there were all these... Um, secondhand like semi-antique places like i don't know how to call this like a thrift stores basically and like where i grew up there was just a plethora of them and they were run by uh sometimes by like little non-profits sometimes by just someone who who ran it to make a profit and they had all they just all look very different and uh and i just love that stuff because i didn't have much money and i love to like it was like the equivalent of facebook marketplace at the time before the internet and then the government came along and they decided to like um come up with the equivalent of goodwill in the us and i don't know why it's so dominant in the us i haven't studied it but at least in belgium the government just kind of started massively subsidizing this one nonprofit government organization that was going to be the, the national thrift store and so they basically crowded out so many of those independent thrift stores. And so anyway, just just like that idea, I think the same dynamic happens in, in law where if the government starts getting involved more and more and they subsidize the whole system. The alternatives get crowded out and are less visible. And, and um, but so to me, the fact that this is the case in most countries, there is just one legal system that doesn't mean that natural law principles cannot you know aren't still pursued sometimes by these monopolized um uh centralized legal systems for example when it comes to fraud or theft and and so i i really even if on some level i think like okay i think this could be organized differently in a more fair way i'm not going to say this person should not be prosecuted for fraud if they are a fraudster. I think that the damage done by the legal system just taking its course and that person actually being tried. And keep in mind as well, in the US, a lot of the trials are jury trials. So there really is an involvement of the public in a, in a very significant and important and valuable way um, to, to try and determine whether or not the, you know, the law, the spirit of the law um, uh, applies and how and so I think that even just educationally, there's just so important for people, regular people, everyday people, everyone to to get a sense of what it means to be on the different sides of that dialogue about, OK, how do we apply these natural law principles? So anyway, that's a long winded way of saying uh, I don't have a problem with um, people going to jail over shit coins uh, if they if they actually have been stealing from. Uh, innocent uh, investors. Yeah, and and I think it's very clear that um, if somebody clearly commits fraud and they get sued, and let's say we have a, a rational and non-captured uh, you know uh, agency at going after them, right? Then they get sued, and then there's a legal process, and and they get integrated and dealt with through the legal system. 
assuming there's a country that is, you know, follows their laws and so on, right? Um, however, there is, how do you deal with preventative, like, like you know, for example, I, I like to deal with the example of drugs and, uh, or even better, the, the, the example of pimps, right? So in Amsterdam, as far as I understand, it's illegal to be a pimp, but it's legal to be a John and a, and a prostitute, right? And, or a sex worker, let's say. And so the buyers of the, in, in this analogy, the buyers of the crypto, they're not really committing a crime. And, but the, the people that are issuing it, that's where that category is sort of uh, legally controlled, right? Um, do you see, a, you know, a world where, yeah, you, you can't legally issue uh, an, anonymous, an anonymous crypto uh, or at least anonymously issue a crypto that you can rug pull, you know, you issue yourself 50% of the supply and then go do some marketing online and say that it's going to save the world and then dump on them, right? Like it, can that actually be categorically made illegal or, or do we just have to actually accept this sort of enforcement or, or regulation through enforcement, enforcement approach that the SEC is taking where they just start suing everybody and they just take their time? Uh, I'm not sure if I fully understand your question, but I mean, I think that maybe, maybe just, you know, defining what fraud is and, and potentially how it applies in the securities markets is enough. I don't know if you really need a system whereby people ask and try to get a license because that's when the government starts to be a gatekeeper and that's where you get all that crony capitalism where certain parties, just because they have the right relationships or a lot of money, they can get the license and then have a regulatory mode against everybody else. Um, and that, of course, you know, diminishes competition, etc. So I think sometimes governments tend to really overcomplicate things and, uh, you know, with, with good intentions, but they, they tend to overcomplicate things. And, and I think in, in the crypto space, especially, it's just, it's a matter of like, fraud is kind of simple. It's like, okay, are you deceiving? And I, I do like the, I do like the Howey test, because it is like, you kind of want to know, are you dealing with something that is issued by a for-profit enterprise or is it a commodity? Like that, that distinction makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, but anyway, I don't mm -hmm. know if I actually answered your question here. No, that, that's good. I mean, I, I, I do like that differentiation as well between, let's say, crypto commodities and crypto securities. And, and a crypto commodity, would I, I, I argue, right, that it, at the very basic, at the very least, it would have to be proof of work and it would have to have zero uh ico you know there the, the, all the coins need to be created through some sort of proof of work process to be like that's the minimum requirement there's probably like six other things you could check against but that would be like the base to differentiate a commodity from a security in this space um well, and, and, and so and yeah, there's nothing in in the essence there's nothing wrong with an airdrop because if you think about how how real estate has been divided uh, in the U.S. with the, you know, with the great track West and, you know, especially in the 19th century, there was a great movement to, for people from Europe to go to the U.S. and somehow get hold of a, a piece of land. And then there were real estate developers in the U.S. who were like, they wanted to build a city. And so they needed that demand. And so you've got to find a way to sometimes give away a piece. And then as you build momentum, then you can start charging for the rest of the land that you have. Like that model in itself isn't wrong, uh, like freebies basically, or like, you know, what is it called in software world? Like freeware, uh, something like that. Or they do it all the time. Sure. You give away some and then you charge for other stuff. Um, and so I don't think that the idea is bad. It's just that you have to admit that you're issuing a security. Like you, you can't just do that and also pretend that, oh no, this is just like, we're digging gold out of the ground. It's like, no, dude, like you're growing oranges in your orange grove. You're selling them. You're trying to make a profit. This is a security. Yeah. And I think the other element of, of this whole conversation is uh, risk disclosures, which are basically very, actually quite rare in the crypto industry. Uh, but a, a risk disclosure is simple. Like there's a pretty good chance that this thing will go to zero. There's uh, an infinite space for potential bugs that we're trying to capture and, and, and contain. And uh, it could all go it could all go to zero. And, and but that kind of disclosure is definitely not commonplace. And 
you know, I think what we've seen in the industry is that it's it, it has failed to self-regulate in a way. Uh, we we see this over and over again. We have 10 years of altcoins crashing and, and people losing their money. And, um, you know, so so I understand why there's kind of like a tension around this regulatory issue. There's people that are on both sides. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe the libertarians are right. Maybe 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 the SEC is actually acting in a libertarian way in the way in the sense that they're just going they're just suing these these projects one at a time and letting and going through the court system. Then, uh, yeah, that's kind of they, they, there is that worry that the SEC is kind of regulating through enforcement rather than just making clear guidelines. And and I I don't know. It's I'm I'm going back and forth between it because I, I am a really big fan of the uh, common law um, tradition where law is basically organically created over time by having a lot of legal precedents that other judges can then later refer back to, et cetera, et cetera. And because uh, that's, that's a very bottom-up type of way to build uh, law rather than saying we have an agency and they issue this regulation and now everybody follows this rule. Like that's, that's very inflexible because um, what if something's wrong with the regulation? Like how are you going to change it? Um, so, so I don't know. I, I, I feel like I'm kind of out of my depth when I, when I think about that stuff, um, with regards to the SEC, I'm just not, not versed enough to, to have a strong opinion one way or another. Yeah, same. I mean, I'm, I'm really interested in the topic, but it's also, it's also very, very complicated. I, I agree that common law is the superior uh, model, right? It seems like it's these precedents that come out of, you know, court cases are coming from empirical, real-world conflicts rather than being, uh, let's say, decided on by by let's say Congress or the Senate or or some other judicial branch or, or you know whatever, right? Uh, and then the, the the courts just have to have to enforce whatever the government says they should should enforce. I, I agree, common law is much much better. I think the data shows that too. It's it's much better for for countries and, mm. and, and the wealth of nations and so on. Wow, fascinating. Well, I appreciate your thoughts on that because that's that's a really really tricky and thorny issue. Um, you you have a, a report on your Twitter that goes to just get get the name right. Um, Adamandresearch.com uh, on your Twitter profile, and it goes to a, a report on how to position for the Bitcoin boom. Uh, very cool report. People should go definitely check it out and download it. Um, I believe uh, are you are you working with uh, on chain capital on this report or what's uh, how does that work? Yeah, we we've been collaborating on it. It's just a it's just a fun collaboration where they just help me with some of the logistics and um, but I authored the whole thing. I, they didn't edit. Um, they didn't have a hand in in how it was written or what was said. Gotcha. Okay. Well, what can you tell us about? bitcoin in in the cycle you know at, at this time like where are we in the cycle is it going to you know do we are we going to have a similar sort of happening uh bull run uh or has something let's say is there anything fundamentally different what can you tell us let's say an overview of that document uh uh so that people can go and check out the details and so on yeah i mean there's there's a bunch of like concerns that I address because that's always what happens in a bear market. Like people get really, really worried and kind of feel stuck. And then they're like, but what about this? And what about that? And so that's what I do is I work through some of those valid objections. Um, and then the main thesis is basically that, <clears throat> that look, look, there's very few safe havens left in the world. Uh, if you want to store money uh, safely and, uh, and of course, there's always the fundamental case that the world needs sound money, and that's that's going to be a fundamental driver. But then in the shorter term, uh, part of the demand is just going to come from uh, money that uh, that panics away from certain asset classes. And that's what we're seeing now is, you know, we had the highest inflation in 40 years kick in in, in 2020. And then uh, with the interest rate rises, we've seen uh, bond markets beginning to crash, which is affecting an enormous asset class that was considered to be completely safe for almost 30, 40 years, I think. Yeah, about 40 years. 
so this massive bubble of government debt and and even um, corporate debt to an extent that double bubble is starting to deflate um starting to collapse then we have real estate which is also now finally really suffering under the higher interest rates um so so all those safe havens and then of course there's um technology stocks and in general consumer stocks because people always talk about the stock market but if you think about it uh the richest people in the world the largest companies in the world are no longer energy companies they're no longer um commodity producers they're all these fancy tech companies which is fine you know we need that infrastructure but a lot of the value is that people try to extrapolate consumer demand they're like oh yeah and people are going to keep buying these widgets and those widgets and blah 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 but all that is discretionary spending and all of it assumes that people's ability to consume is going to keep at the same level is going to keep going up and that's completely not the case like the world is pretty much broke if you think about it like households are uh in debt not only in the US but around the world their saving rates are very low um and then of course if you add to that commodities rising it means people's bottom line gets really hurt and they have to spend a higher and higher percentage of their family's income just covering the basics like just keeping the lights on keeping the car running uh just these very very simple things and so when you think about like oh i i invest in real assets i have i am exposed to the stock market if you just buy an s&p 500 i need to i need to actually make the calculation but if you buy s&p 500 shares only a small percentage of that is actually exposing you to the the primary sector of just the, the basic commodity sector and most of it is actually consumer oriented uh and so even that is under threat so just like long story short all these massive asset classes are now starting to break down we're going into an inflationary depression stagflation is happening so people need a scarce asset that um has low third party risk and that is also very liquid ipso facto bitcoin is the answer maybe some gold but so yeah to me that is the you know one of the reasons why i'm so bullish now is that on top of just yeah the world needs to sound money we have all these tailwinds for bitcoin that are um, are going to create massive fomo in the, the months to come i think well wow, that's great uh yeah adam back just recently made a bet for a million sats that bitcoin would reach uh 100,000 by i believe april 24 um which would be fantastic it's not a very big stakes bet but uh what do you which which side of that bet will you take yeah i probably agree with adam i mean it's it's a little bit of a coin toss like 100k is is still um you know more than 3x from here um and and once we start going up it's going to go really fast i think so yeah i mean if i had to choose i'd probably lean yes i think 2024 is really going to be fireworks um just because like people now for example are saying like oh the markets we got to brace ourselves the stock markets are going to crash and and the the problem with that and I I'm not saying that they totally won't but it's just that once the markets start going down we're seeing that people are selling off bonds as well and so it's such a weird situation where um and and also bank shares and they start withdrawing cash from the banks and putting them in short term government bonds sorry it's 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 on the one hand they're selling long dated bonds and then they're buying the shorter dated bonds so basically people go into cash but at the same time they're withdrawing deposits from the banks they're selling bank shares and so that means that um the stimulus has to come really really quickly to try and rescue the whole system So I think that the the possibility for an actual 2008 style crash where we go that low is actually fairly low because of how fragile the system is. I think that QE stimulus packages uh would just come very very quickly. Uh I could be wrong, but so that's why I think 22, you know, why I'm I'm bullish even though the general sentiment amongst analysts seems to be like, "Oh, we could really be going into a crash right here. 
Yeah, I was going to mention that. Um, yeah, there's there's definitely concerns that a Q through Q4 of 23 is going to be kind of like another dip or another recession move. Q1 of 24 as well, uh, in general in the markets. I mean, I'm definitely feeling the or seeing the the the, the rising prices in Latin America. Um, and it does seem like the, the the market is slower. It's harder to sell luxury goods or or non-consumer kind of products. Um, but I guess you 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 see Bitcoin rising against that. Do you think that there's going to be some sort of deeper recession uh, in the next few months? Um, yeah, it's so hard to tell in the short term, really, because it's there's just so many thousands of factors at play. Um, but if I, you know, if I had to, like, I, I definitely think that stagflation is happening now. Like, people are confused. They're like, oh, but the, you know, the job market is healthy. And so why, um, what's the problem? It's like, well, yeah, but inflation, I think, is coming back. Like, if you look at oil prices now, they're going up. Um, so if, if, if the oil price actually does keep rising, yeah, I think we're really going to have to go into a recession. Uh, but so weirdly, that can happen with without the stock market collapsing or something like it, it can just be this, you know, because inflation, it means nominally all the prices might still go up. So really, really weird twilight uh, type environment. Oh, but before we go on, I wanted to ask, um, uh, what do you think of um, having some of the listeners chime in with some questions as well? Yeah, for sure. If anybody wants to jump on and ask uh, some questions, feel free to raise your hand or request the mic. Uh, we can definitely do that. Um, I'll keep an I'll keep an eye out on on that, and and uh, if anybody does want to jump in, um, cool. Is there any other issue on the on the market analysis or investment analysis uh, in relation to Bitcoin that you think is is worth mentioning that we that we haven't touched on? Um, I can't. I'm sure there is, but I just can't think of anything right now. Gotcha. Okay, I want to ask you about another big trend that's been going on. Obviously, AI has been uh, pretty big in the news this year. It's kind of slowing down, at least uh, from a popular perspective. But um, AI does seem to be a real-world trend. It does seem to be here to stay. I mean, I'm definitely bullish on it. Uh, and uh, ironically enough, it's not uh, blue-collar jobs that are trended by it, but actually uh, white-collar jobs that are trended by it. Um, do you have any any thoughts on on the impact of AI in the economy? Uh, you know, on the one hand, we have people like Musk saying that we're going into like a new sort of utopia where the costs of everything is going to go to zero. Uh, on the other hand, we have like apocalypse, like oh, nobody's going to have jobs. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think that to dig gold and silver and lithium out of the ground and to produce wheat and uh, to you know to uh, feed the cows uh you uh ai is not going to make a big dent in that like you said it's mostly like white collar stuff so i think we'll have this weird thing where ai might become a scapegoat to be like oh that's why the job market is doing you know ai they're, they're taking our jobs um even though there seems to be a significant bottleneck when it comes to ai because it's so uh, cpu gpu intensive um, and so you need the chips and, and there, you know, there isn't exactly a, um, an abundance of chips in the world right now, computer chips. So, yeah, I, I just, um, I, I, I think that white collar workers, they were, their head was on the chopping block anyway. And yeah, maybe AI can accelerate some things, but I just, to me, it doesn't change my overall thesis. Cool. Cool. Uh, Wayne, welcome. Uh, do you have a question for a tour? Yes, I, I do have a question. Um, so you spent a lot of time in the conversation talking about different macroeconomic trends and you know Bitcoin cycles, specific type of you know expectations of future behavior. Uh, to what degree do you think uh, politics, and particularly the U.S. political environment, affects Bitcoin over the next, call it, uh, cycle? Yeah, I, I think probably significantly. I feel like this cycle is more politically charged than any of the previous cycles they really there's like pro bitcoin candidates that are running and and so yeah i really do it's hard to call it you know to because then you would have to know who's elected and maybe like what big events are happening to 
to to make them lean one way or another. Um, but because Bitcoin is starting to really have weight in the room, it's uh, yeah, it's either a viable scapegoat or it's a viable um, kind of cause to to be championed by certain candidates uh, or even you know states or institutions. Like you definitely see that in like more resource rich energy rich countries or if in the US like Texas and some other states that just have more resources they tend to be very positive towards mining generally speaking um so yeah i i just to me it's like I, i'm just really paying attention but i'm very bad at predicting elections so i feel like it's if i knew who was elected then maybe i i could try and make a call or two but but without that i i, I just i'm out of my depth Gotcha. Okay. Um, does that answer your question, Wayne? Yeah, I was just, you know, like, it, it sort of does. I mean, I wasn't really looking for a specific prediction, but just more of like, to what degree do you think that it factors in? Like Tur said, you know, um, uh, Bitcoin has not been a major uh, issue. Uh, it really seems like culturally, especially within the regulatory uh, environment and within lobbyists in D.C., that um, you know, Democrats are against Bitcoin and crypto and Republicans are for Bitcoin and crypto. And uh, I, I suspect that neither part, none of a lot of the individuals on both sides have no idea what they're talking about. They're just kind of following party lines. And I think that it's pretty much inevitable at this point that it's going to become a highly partisan uh, issue. And that's really that, that's really how I see it. I see that as mm -hmm. being inevitable at this point, despite people's desires for it to be uh, otherwise. And I really mm -hmm. think that's unfortunate because it throws in the worst of human behavior and extreme human emotions into the picture for Bitcoin's future in a way that hasn't existed in the past. So to me, that means that there's more risk and less certainty um, in the medium term. But in the long term, I think that... Uh, you know, everything will work out okay. Yeah, intuitively, I feel mm -hmm. like I, I, I feel like I agree with what you're saying that because because we we're entering an age of kind of taboos and censorship and and you know like things are just us you know people just have to have a certain opinion like if you're part of a group, especially like a political party, it's like we just need our party lines and and those are very important and so yeah, I think it makes sense that you know, Bitcoin, that an entire party would almost be aligned, even though that doesn't make sense, right? Because Bitcoin touches on so many things. So why would why would one party be all the way for, all the way against? Um, I think that actually does make sense. Um, and so, yeah, in that sense, maybe the importance of elections are, uh, it's going to become more important than, than we realized. Um, but then there's, I think, the, the one issue that maybe supersedes the parties is maybe if the dollar really starts to experience very high inflation, uh, like say, I don't know, plus 30% or something, I think then we could see a president of either party say, do some stuff that's like trying to curb Bitcoin adoption somehow. Um, that That's kind of also on my radar of like, all right, let's, let's keep an eye on these uh, these presidents. Yeah, from a from a politics perspective, it's really interesting because RFK is obviously uh, talking up Bitcoin and 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 uh, appealing to Bitcoiners, and he even said that if he could, he he might even uh, back like one percent of the U.S. dollar with Bitcoin, which is probably not doable. But you know, at least he like he's sort of paying lip service to Bitcoin, and he's kind of like the the he's trying to infiltrate essentially the Democratic Party, trying to take it over. Obviously, he's. I think he's unlikely to win from that perspective, but we'll see. And on the other hand, we have Donald Trump, who's probably gonna win. I mean, obviously, he's gonna be the GOP front runner unless they, you know, a JFK or something. But he, he even said he'd run from from prison, and he like launched an NFT like six months ago, right? So he, he's. It's not like he can now go against crypto in general. Like he's got. He's already established a beachhead into the industry with his NFT uh, thing, and. Uh, and so from there to maybe becoming a maximalist, at least that there's a path open in theory, right? But uh, he's definitely like a big fiat sort of, uh, you know, money printing kind of guy. So I don't know if he's going to be 
he's he wasn't particularly good for Bitcoin last time. Actually, we we saw a full bear market throughout his presidency. So we'll see uh, how that plays out. But uh, that's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think Trump, like if he's a president, he'll just he'll just do whatever. Like, I don't think he'll be bothered by what he did previously to, you know, to let that inform him. But about the election, yeah, it is ironic that probably the only Democratic candidate. Well, it's hard to say. It's so hard to call this stuff. But I guess part of me thinks that probably uh, RFK is probably the only candidate who could really uh, defeat Trump because he could, you know, probably swing a bunch of the Republican voters uh, more than a Biden could. But then, you know, RFK is less likely to be nominated. So, yeah, we'll have to see. Yeah, and the independence is a pretty big block of independent voters as well that, that are probably on the fence. Um, I, I do think that as a, as a community and, and as a sort of bottom-up kind of movement, uh, we, have to, we have to remind the left that Bitcoin is egalitarian by design. Like, uh, there's a, a lady that was going to join us today. I think she couldn't make it, uh, Albury. And uh, she wrote this article about how Barbie would love Bitcoin, you know, and uh, she would be a talker. She's like a fe- feminist sort of icon of independence and 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 self-sovereignty and all this stuff. And, yeah, Bitcoin would serve her, right? Like when Barbies were created, women weren't allowed to have bank accounts or something like that, right? Well, with Bitcoin, they, they can, right? And so there's all these like l- classical, liberal, egalitarian values embedded in Bitcoin. Bitcoin doesn't care who you are, where you're from, doesn't even care your age, uh, what politics you have, what religion you have. Bitcoin just cares that you have the right private keys and that you that you acquire the Bitcoin, essentially. And I think this is a, a party line. Like if, if if Bitcoin becomes partisan by American politics, I think the, 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 the right approach to the Bitcoin community is to say, hold on, Bitcoin's for everybody, even for enemies. And even if we're all right-wingers, uh, left-wingers are, Bitcoin's not going to ban you from entering Bitcoin. In fact, join us and let's uh, stop this fiat scam, right? And um, so I think that's that's kind of the approach we should take. Yeah. One, uh, I agree. Oh, go ahead, Wayne. So I think, one, I agree with what you last said, but I just wanted to push back a little bit, not because I disagree with what you said previously, but because I just wanted to present the other side of things. In that, you know, I agree with your values that Bitcoin is egalitarian. There's the same set of rules that applies for everybody who's on the network. And I think most of the people on this call think that's a good thing. But in US politics, especially on the the liberal side that what we've been talking about, is that they see the world as being flawed and having lots of historical flaws and wrongs towards different groups of people. And they want to make the rules different so that it rights those wrongs. And the idea of everybody having the same rules and just having those rules apply to them from here as a starting point is actually deeply offensive to a lot of Democrats uh, and liberals in the, the United States. And this is uh, evidenced by the shift away from the term uh, equality to equity. I'm sure people in the call have seen the meme on the internet with the people standing on the boxes. And so, you know, the idea that, you know, Bitcoin is fair and is uh, available to everybody. I like that idea. That's, you know, that resonates with me. But to somebody like Elizabeth Warren and other people who are, you know, in her sphere of influence, they look at the crypto bros who are rich and who have too much of the money and we have to take it from them through taxation and we have to punish Bitcoin miners because they harm the environment. And, you know, it's it's not just um, a uh, uh, it's not just like a default that people will accept these types of things. And I just wanted to present the other's uh, viewpoint because they are pretty loud about their uh uh, the, the rhetoric towards us. Yeah, let, let me let me just comment on that real quick. So I do. I am a pretty big fan of, or not fan, but I am fascinated by Amer- American politics. And w- what I see is that there's sort of a a, a radical left um, minority, a very loud and influential minority of leftists. And I think we we do have to separate them from liberals because they're not really liberals. And I think you're right about them in this analysis that they are they they actually think that the hierarchy has been against minorities forever, and they're trying to basically invert 
the hierarchy of power and basically establish like reverse racism or something like that. Um, and, and yes, that's true. But there's also like a much larger group of, of liberals and, and essentially boomers that are more aligned towards classical liberalism who support them, but are now getting uncomfortable. And we see it, we see it at, like I see it on a variety of layers of, of the culture war. I see it in like, like the, the sort of internal uh, turf wars between like, like classical feminists and modern sort of leftists. Uh, I see it in the way that, for example, as soon as, funny enough, like I don't think Elizabeth Warren is in this category of leftists. I think she's just, she's obviously a politician that's playing the some sort of party line. But as soon as BlackRock joined the, joined, started talking about Bitcoin, suddenly all these articles about how Bitcoin is actually good for the environment started to come out, funny enough, right? So I think that's the group that we have to appeal to. We're never going to be able to, to like there's always going to be radicals on, on either side that are going to have crazy ideas. Uh, but uh, the majority of the influence and wealth is actually in a more sort of boomer, classical, liberal sort of uh, center and um, or center left, let's say. And I think I think to them we can certainly appeal, right? And they're the ones that can actually hold the the, the radical leftists at bay. Uh, that's kind of how I I think about it. But, yeah. Can I just give a quick shout out? Sure, quick shout out. <laughs> uh, TXMC, I see you're listening. Love your charts. Thanks, man. Keep going. Oh, TSMC. TXMC, uh, yes. All right. Oh, yeah, I see him. Okay, cool. <laughs> right on, right on. All right. Um, let's see. What else can we talk about? Um, I wanted to ask you something, sir, about the weight. And, you know, we're coming in around the hour, so I don't know how much time you have. But um, Yeah, I'll have to. I'll have uh, to do you have a... Off in about 10 mm-hmm. minutes. Okay, sounds good. So let me ask you something about the the let's say the culture of Bitcoin and the philosophy of Bitcoin. Uh, you know, I know you have some philosophical uh, training, and you know you've been around for a long time. Um, you know, there's this idea in Bitcoin that Bitcoin changes you. That you don't change Bitcoin. Bitcoin changes you, and and this idea that Bitcoin, um, let's say, aligns us with a let's say short time preference or at least a preference towards long-term thinking and long-term investment and, and resistance to short-term decisions or, or temptations and so on. Um, and this has been a thesis of Bitcoin for a while now. Do you, do you see this thesis as playing out? Uh, do you, do you still sort of believe this? How do you, how do you think about this, this question of Bitcoin's influence over, over man uh, today? Oh yeah, I think it, I mean, I, I can't speak for everyone, but I, I feel like it's changed me. You know, it's changed my uh, perspective on just money and spending and, and investing and and uh, and kind of like my time horizon. Because in like in the past, I would just have this attitude of like I don't I'm not interested in investing. Like I don't I don't know what that is. It looks complicated. Um, and uh, and so I just wouldn't save because there wasn't anything that was calling on me to save. Uh, but Bitcoin is just so magnetic in that it's just so scarce and so liquid and so kind of easy to hold. It's, it's challenging in some ways, but it's also very straightforward in how you can keep it safe. Um, that it's just... Um, it's kind of like, you know, it's it's that thing what Henry Ford says is like that, like people, customers don't know what they want until you show them. Like he's like, they just think they want faster horses. Well, in fact, what they want is the car. So to me, Bitcoin is something that is just like, once it sits there in your lap, you're like, wow, <laughs> I, I just don't want to part with this, <laughs> at least not right now. And then you, you get excited about passing some on to your kids or you know, it it just it's 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 a magical thing, and 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 so compared to that, like having some government bond, like how could you be excited about trying to accumulate more government bonds that are maybe going to defeat inflation, but also probably not? And you know, it's just such a headache. Then of course, like of course, you're going to rather live in the moment, live it up. There's all these, you know. Uh, yeah, just I just feel like it's understandable that we have this culture where people don't build things for the long term anymore because 
there's just not the tools for it. The, the, the mental tools, the technical tools, um, the philosophical tools. So yeah, I, I, I definitely feel like Bitcoin has changed me. And I, I think it's probably doing the same with a lot of people. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely influenced me towards saving for the long term and building for the long term. Uh, and I, I, I don't know how much, but I can't deny that it's made a, been a huge part of my life at this point and, and building out my, my life as well. Um, and I have one more question for you, but before we, we jump into that, I just want to point out, first of all, everybody go check out Tour's work. Uh, his Twitter account, subscribe to Tur if you haven't done it already. He's got adamandresearch.com, pretty cool newsletter. Uh, definitely have a look at that. That's where he answers the question of how to position for the Bitcoin boom. So uh, definitely check that out. And uh, we're going to have uh, Peter Rousseau next week on Friday at 11 a.m. Friday, 11 a.m. CST. Rousseau is going to join us. And uh, I'm really looking forward to talking to him because he was... He's a very interesting thinker, uh, not particularly partisan within the Bitcoin crypto world, but uh, very, very influential. And um, I think we're going to talk a little bit about Bitcoin scaling and lightning and, and, and how some of those critiques of lightning from the Bitcash era have shaken out and, and, uh, and where we're at with that. So it's going to be a really interesting, exciting conversation. Um, so, yes, the, stay tuned to BitcoinNews.com. Uh, for that and um sir um last question how do you how, how does the cycles how do the cycles of bitcoin price affect you right because for me like the bull markets you know obviously a huge amount of money comes in there's lots of work all the way up you know it's very intense very exciting conferences everywhere and by the time you we, you start topping out like i feel like i'm rich and i just start partying like i just go i just go on vacation for months <laughs> and then the bear market is like oh my god bear market right and then you gotta start working again the, the, the industry shrinks right so how, how does how does that how has that affected you how do you how do you navigate the 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 wild swings in in, in bitcoin cycles sure sure um let me tackle that but first because i'm seeing some people in the audience that have been very kind in uh, commenting on the podcast I did with Peter McCormack, where I talked about my Ibogaine retreat. So I just want to thank everyone for their very, very kind uh, messages. It was amazing. I feel so like happy that I shared this stuff. Um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, I didn't know what to expect at all, like how people would react. And so I feel really um, heartened and um, yeah, just very happy to be in this space and to, to be able to share something that apparently has been of value to, to people out there. Um, but so yeah, about, about the cycles, um, for me, I think for me as well, you know, like when, when the price goes up a lot, like it's, I think it's just human nature. Like you just start extrapolating like, Oh, you know, this is my net worth and this is maybe how high it would go and will go. And, and, um, you just start kind of spending more, kind of assuming that the party will go on that, that I'm definitely not immune to that. I, I could definitely be more disciplined in that, in that area. And, um, and it's also hard to like put some, you know, put some money aside in that period. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I feel like I'm, I'm very much just like everybody else in that sense, you know, in, in a bear market, I'm, I'm more prone to, you know, being like, well, we don't know how long it's going to, maybe that's like a little bit of a difference compared to other people. Like if you've been through a few of these cycles, I, I assume a long bear market. I'm kind of like, all right, let's just plan for three years or something like that rather than like, oh, but you know, in five months or in six months, we're going to be back all the way. Um, so that's been helpful to just kind of have a bit more of a, maybe mature approach to the, the bear side of the cycle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I did in the last bull market that I'm really happy I did, is I actually built a house. We, we have some land with some family. And, and so I built the house. And so now I'm living there and I don't have to pay rent. And uh, that's, that's, that's very helpful. Wonderful. Um, so I, I, do, I do think people need to think about how to, how to diversify when the bull market is raging, but 
at the same time, you don't want to sell it all. You know, you always want to keep a solid chunk of Bitcoin because it could just keep going up. So, you know, I uh, as uh, just as there's like a DCA in, I do think there's a, a room to discuss how to how to take profits uh, on the bull run because of the cyclical nature of Bitcoin. You know, yeah. But, uh, and I, w- I would say in general, I think if if you're doubting about whether or not to like include your life partner in discussions about what to do and how to you know position and plan i would say like just really try and do it like try to include them in the conversation uh really like just just make plans together because um it's such a roller coaster and like you know you want to be able to emotionally support each other and that's really hard if one person is completely out of the loop about what's what's going on financially yeah totally totally that's uh, that's that's probably really important because it's 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 very volatile right especially for us that are in the Bitcoin industry, you know, I, I mean, I don't know about, I think there's a lot of people that actually have real jobs, you know, but uh, for me, it's like I, you know, my, my capacity, my purchasing power is very much tied to Bitcoin's price, you know, so yeah, <laughs> you do have to learn to navigate that in a relationship, especially. Yeah. I mean, it is different if you have like a fiat job that just offers you stability and then the volatility is just kind of a number on, in an Excel sheet. That is, uh, that's probably different than if, uh, you know, you're, you're all in, so to speak. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Thur, for coming on. I appreciate your time. And, and uh, I, I really enjoyed that conversation. I think we hit some really good, good topics. All right. Uh, Juan, Lee, thanks so much. Uh, yeah, I had fun. All right, that was a fun conversation. Thank you so much, Tour, for joining us today. Um, if you made it all the way here, you're one of the true ones. You're one of the real ones. So thank you for that. We really appreciate your attention. Let us know what you think. Let us know who you would like us to talk to in the future and how we can improve. We're always open to feedback. If you like this, you're going to love the other conversations we've had at juangalt.com. So definitely check that out. You also want to check out BitcoinNews.com, which, of course, is helping us put this all together. And last but not least, see you at Unconfiscatable. Uh, you heard it at the beginning, GAL10, you get 10% off. Unconfiscatable is going to be an awesome time. And we're also going to be in adopting Bitcoin um, by the looks of it. So if you use Bitcoin News discount, you also get 10%, I believe. So anyway, that's, uh, that's for the real ones to hear. Uh, so, you know, you only get that if you made it all the way here. Anyway, thank you guys and catch you on the next one.